the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, I'm joined by a special guest co-host, and we'll be chatting with Dr. Ashley Hales, the author of Finding Holy in the Suburbs and a brand new book, A Spacious Life. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good on this Monday afternoon. My name is Aubrey Sampson, and I'm typically joined by my co-host, Brian Fromm. He's out for jury duty today doing his civic duty for the world. And so I have the privilege and the honor of having a very special guest co-host with me the entire show today. I would like to welcome my friend and author, Catherine McNeil. Hi, Catherine. Hey, Aubrey. How are you doing today? Doing awesome. I am so this is like a dream come true. What our listeners may not know is that Catherine and I are actually like the best of friends. She lives down the street. Our kids go to school together. We write for the same publishing house. And so this feels like a Catherine and Aubrey takeover. And I am so thrilled that I get to do this like a dream come true, Catherine. So thanks for being here. Absolutely. For me, too. I love I love the takeover. We're going to do takeover. We're like, we're, we're coming at you really strong today. Brian, you better watch out. Mm -hmm. Um, for those of you who don't know who Catherine is, I'm going to read you a little bit of her bio. She's the author of All Shall Be Well, Awakening to God's Presence in His Messy, Abundant World. She's also the author of a book called Long Days of Small Things, Motherhood as Spiritual Discipline. And we have a big announcement coming up. I'll save that here for just a minute, Catherine, but tell us a little bit more about yourself for listeners who may not know you. Um, absolutely. Um, like Aubrey said, I'm a friend of Aubrey. So that's pretty much, you know, at the top of my bio. That's the bio. That's right. right. That's the headline. Aubrey Sampson. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a writer and an author and an editor. Sometimes I'm writing my own things. Sometimes I'm helping others to write their things. Um, I have three children. My oldest just started high school last week. I know with your, with your oldest, with my oldest. Um, It's crazy. I'm also going to have a middle schooler this year and an elementary schooler. So I'm trying to balance three calendars. Three curriculum nights, <laughs> three totally different Thanksgiving breaks. It's going uh, to be fun. It is. I know. I'm feeling the same way, Catherine, because as you know, my kids are also middle elementary high school and it is a brand new ball game over here. It yeah. is like it's a whole new day for us as moms to figure and out, especially when we work full time as well. Not an easy day. <laughs> not an easy day. Well, Catherine, I am so thrilled because we kind of have an exclusive with you right now. There is a big announcement you're about to make, and I'm so excited that we get to make it here on The Common Good. So I'm going to let you make that announcement. Is that all right? Sure. Well, can I get a a drum roll? Yes. Uh, I am here this afternoon to announce, reveal the title of my third book, which I have not yet announced or revealed anywhere in the world. So yes, you get an exclusive. Um, my third book, which is with Nav Press, all three of my books have been with Nav Press, will come out in February of 2022, and it is called Fearing Bravely, 
risking love for our neighbors, strangers, and enemies. Oh, Catherine, I love the title. What our listeners may not know is that I've gotten a sneak peek of this book. And it, it, Catherine is, I'm not just saying this because she, she's my friend. Catherine is one of the best writers on the scene right now, period. Like her craft is impeccable. And this book has so much passion and fire and like, anointing behind it. It's prophetic in a lot of ways, fearing bravely, risking love for our neighbors, strangers, and enemies. It is a book for such a time as this. And I'm so excited for you, Catherine. Can you tell us a little bit about the book? Why did you decide to write this? Yeah. Uh, I just want to tell you the book is totally done. So even though it's not coming out for a long time, my work on writing and editing is finished. Um, so I am I am ready to talk about it. Woohoo! Yes, you know, as you can probably tell from the title, um, I am, I just wanted to wrestle with some things that didn't match up for me in the way many of us are approaching our Christian lives. Um, for example, Jesus said that his followers would be known by our love. But what I'm hearing out in the world is that Christians are known these days by our fear. Um, mm. Jesus said that we would have a love that conquered fear. But I'm finding in my own heart and in many others that we have a fear that is conquering love. Um, Mm. And I wanted to wrestle with that a little bit. And then I specifically, as I was digging into the Bible and what Jesus teaches and frankly, what God teaches us throughout the entire Bible, it's that he wants our energies to be going towards loving our neighbors. And then that, especially in the story of the Good Samaritan, we see that that definition of neighbor extends to strangers, people we don't know, especially people who are new to our Mm. country or new to our town who are in need. Uh, We have no choice, according to the Bible, but to extend hospitality to anyone who needs it. Mm. So suddenly the definition of neighbor has extended to stranger. And then Jesus takes that even a step farther and says, okay, you know that. We've talked about this already. But I'm saying to you, love even your enemy. And, you know, Jesus doesn't just mean like a fluffy feeling in our hearts. Like he's talking about laying our lives down, laying our rights down Mm. for our neighbors, for strangers, for enemies. And I just really wanted to wrestle with what that might look like in our country, in our communities, in our lives, our Christian communities, even in our conversations. Catherine, I I mean, just hearing you say this, I'm like, yes, you are naming exactly what is happening in our country right now. So I am so excited about this book. I feel like this is going to be something that all Christians need to read. Again, the title is Fearing Bravely, Risking Love for Our Neighbors, Strangers, and Enemies. Catherine, do you, um, I'm putting you on the spot here a little bit, but do you have any stories from the book that you want to share? Mm. You know what? Here's kind of a funny story. There was a day when my husband and I were trying to move some furniture into our house. And so we had rented a truck and it was kind of a muddy January day. And the truck got 100% stuck in our yard because we don't have a driveway. Um, We used our two cars. We pulled them together with ropes and tried to tried to tow this truck out Um, of our yard on our own and we're utterly failing. We had blocked the entire street and (laughs) we spent about an hour and a half outside on this cold January day trying to wave down our neighbors as they passed by on the other side of the road, um, (laughs) trying to get somebody to help us. And they all just sort of 
averted their eyes and went on by. Oh, no. Um, and <laughs> it felt like such a real life episode of the Good Samaritan, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, somebody with a pickup truck and some chains could have pulled us out of there in 30 seconds. And ultimately, that's what happened. Somebody mm. did stop by and pull us out. But it was after probably about 150 of our neighbors with pickup trucks and chains just drove right on by. Wow. Um, so that really, that's a funny, kind of a funny story. But yeah. it does remind me like how often we are the ones just passing by on the other side because mm. we're busy and we, you know, maybe those people aren't going to be safe and maybe, maybe I'm going to be late to somewhere important. But I think Jesus just keeps on saying, you know, you're busy and worried about many things, but I'm asking you to love God and to love your neighbor. That's so good, Catherine. I can't wait to have you back on when the book comes out and we can dig into it a little bit more. Where can our listeners find more about you and find more about Fearing Bravely and your other writing? Well, you know, like I said, the book isn't even out yet. Uh, so the best place to go probably is my website, katherinemcneil.com. From there, you'll be able to sign up for my newsletter where I will definitely provide late-breaking updates Um also, you'll be able to follow me on social media. I'm active on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, where I will also be sure to post uh, late breaking updates. And um, actually, if you do put the book title into Amazon, you can go to a page that will allow you to pre-order. Um, but my publisher is still building that page, so uh, there's going to be there's going to be a bit of dust there on that page. Gotcha. But but be looking for that again. You can go to KatherineMcNeil.com, and that is M C N. I-E-L. Make sure you put that I before that E. Uh, coming up next, we are joined by Dr. Ashley Hale. She's the f- actually a friend of Catherine and myself. She's the author of a new book, A Spacious Life, Trading Hustle and Hurry for the Goodness of Limits. Catherine, I'm so glad you're going to stick around with us for that. And I'm going to keep pressing in, asking you more about your writing a little bit later on in the show. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Monday afternoon. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my guest co-host, Catherine McNeil. And we are thrilled because we actually have another author friend of ours as an author takeover today. Dr. Ashley Hales is with us. Ashley's the author of Finding Holy in the Suburbs and the host of the Finding Holy podcast. We are so excited to talk to Ashley about her new book, A Spacious Life, Trading Hustle and Hurry for the Goodness of limits. Ashley, thanks so much for being here with us today. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. Ashley, can you uh, introduce yourself for our listeners? I ran down some of your bio, but tell us anything like where do you live? What do you do with your time? Give us uh, give us who is Ashley? Ah, well, I am a mom to four kids and my husband's a pastor and we've recently relocated from Southern California to Colorado. So we are enjoying the hiking and excited to ski. But um, it's also pretty amazing. (laughs) My children are now in school full time in the first time in 17 months. <laughs> so I am wow. loving the quiet. Ashley, I hear the message in society all the time, you know, more, bigger, better, greater. But I hear you in this most recent book of yours, A Spacious Life, calling us to a different message. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah. So really, I think we've all realized on the tail end, what we, what we hope is the tail end of this global pandemic, 
that we have limits, right? And that our Mm. limits, we tend to fight our limits. Everything tells us, like you said, to work harder, to be faster and stronger. And we tend to equate our value and worth with our productivity. And really what we find when we look particularly at the life of Christ is that he lived a limited life. He lived in one Mm. space and one town and he healed only certain people. He didn't heal every single person in Palestine. And that limits are not only for our flourishing and good, but they're also built into creation. And so I think I'm hopeful that as we actually follow the God-given good limits of God in our lives, that they'll kind of act as guardrails and they will Mm. be something that hem us in and give us purpose and joy and rest and creativity and kind of give us this sense of spaciousness. I think it's a paradox that... We actually find space when we abide through certain limits instead of trying to be unlimited. Mm, That's a great, great point, Ashley. Listeners, again, the title of Ashley's upcoming book is A Spacious Life, Trading Hustle and Hurry for the Goodness of Limits. It's available for pre-order now. And if you go to aspacious.life, there's a pre-order package that includes pocket spiritual practices just for you. I would highly encourage you to go there. Again, that's a spacious dot life. Ashley, um, what do you think the danger is when we have that sort of unlimited mindset? What happens when we live life that way? You know, what's really fascinating is I think it really, it hits this unlimitedness. It hits both men and women, but I think it hits women particularly in the like young adult years. Like you have Mm. to feel like you have to like curate this life and you have to, make something of yourself. Um, and then maybe you get hit with a recession or a global pandemic or, mm-hmm. you know, all of these life upsets. And we feel like we have somehow messed up that life is not turned out the way it should. And I see that too, in maybe some of our peers, more middle-aged women that maybe, yeah. you know, you hit your forties and you're realizing like, what have I done with my life? And I'm, you know, I'm supposed to have achieved all of these sorts of things. And yeah. what I imagined yeah. of my life isn't reality. And so what do we do? Like, you know, people have midlife crises or, <laughs> you know, they, right. they try to you know, you put all their identity in their children or go on fancy vacations. And these are not actually life-giving practices. Um, we find that as we live unlimited, we feel we have, you know, we're kind of spread more thinly. Our relationships mm. are pretty thin. We're not living this life of meaning and purpose that we had hoped and it's paradoxically, as we live within limits, like we respect our, our sleep, yeah. um, we respect our time and you know, we put away social media, we mm. choose to practice Sabbath, we you know, practice paying attention to other people, we give ourselves to the life of a community and a place instead of simply you know, trying to be everywhere, um, that these are small invitations to live within our limits uh, that really actually will help grow a sense of peace and spaciousness and meaning in our own lives as we commit to really pretty mundane practices like that. I love that, Ashley. Um, I'm really struck by what you said about kind of seasons of life and kind Mm -hmm. of at particular age groups. Um, I've been thinking as I'm listening to you that when we're in our teens or our twenties, maybe even our thirties, we're starting so many things. We're starting school or trade or a job or a marriage or a relationship or parenting or not parenting. Or um, 
but by the time you're in your 40s and 50s, you've been doing those same things that you started for a really long time. Yeah. And yeah. I know that I have almost a constant uh, kind of an inkling to maybe, you know, throw everything up in the air and start everything over. Um, <laughs> for sure. But I realize that's not God's path for me or even the path to joy and fulfillment for mm-hmm. myself. Could you talk about that a bit? Yeah. You know, I think it's really beautiful as we look at the life of Jesus and just to see how he embraced his own human limits. Um, I, you know, I think particularly of, you know, there's one story in, I think it's Luke five where he, you know, he's preaching he's doing all these good things and he like stops preaching. He sees this woman come into the temple and she's bent over and he starts and he like stops what he's doing all of his good, holy work, right. That would, should garner a platform and disciples and all of these sorts of things. And he pays attention to one woman and he heals her. And I think that's just such a really great example because oftentimes we don't actually ask ourselves those sorts of questions. Like where do I need mm. God's attention? Um, because our attention is so spread thin often, you know, it's on our phones, it's on our to-do list yeah. and it's, you know, on our children or work and, and all of these sorts of things. And when we actually like slow down enough, I think we begin to actually wrestle with some of those midlife questions um, in healthy ways. Cause I think our limits are invitations. They're kind of like dashboard lights, you know, often Mm -hmm. when we hit them, um, we realize something's kind of gone wrong in the, you know, in our, in our souls. And, you know, I think we contend, I have something just for your listeners at at a spacious.life. I have a little hustle habit quiz you can also take because I think we contend to hustle past our limits by like ignoring Mm. them or controlling them or blaming other people or circumstances Mm. or falling into shame. And I think Mm. if we see our limits as invitations, we can move past those hustle habits to actually begin to deal with what all those, those things that come up with God, that they're invitations. Yeah, that's such a good way to look at them. They are invitations. Yeah. Ashley, with just the minute that we have left, I am struck by the fact that you chose the word spacious. This is not how to have a balanced life. This is not well-organized life. Right. This is a spacious life. Talk to us about why spacious. Mm-hmm. Well, I just, I love, I love it. And I love particularly, you know, Psalm 16, where um, the psalmist writes in it, that he has brought me out into a spacious place. He has rescued mm-hmm. me because he has delighted in me. And the idea beautiful. of spaciousness is a beautiful picture, um, an image that we can kind of apply to our own lives. But I think it's also helpful because it's also an a image of dependence, right? It comes because we've been rescued. Beautiful. I am so thrilled to be joined by one of our friends, Dr. Ashley Hales. She is author of several books, Finding Holy in the Suburbs. She's also the host of the Finding Holy podcast. And she's here to talk about her brand new book, A Spacious Life, Trading Hustle and Hurry for the Goodness of Limits. Ashley, I am really intrigued by something I've heard you say, that God has placed some of these things directly into creation. And I think you know I wrote a book about some of the ways that creation can point us to God and to truth and to reality. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you see these truths in the fabric of creation? Mm-hmm. You know, what's fascinating is often I think we think of limits as something that's the result of sin. And so it's really mm. powerful to remember that 
when God created everything good before sin, that that limits were part of creation and that they actually provided pathways for flourishing, right? When when you had the world without form and void, right? You have chaos and it isn't until there is limits in creation. There's the sun, you know, to rule the day and the moon, mm. the night, you know, they don't just get to like be around all the time, right? Mm. Planets have orbits. They have a path that they go on, you know, that yeah. there's cycles in the vegetation that, you know, that the land does have to lie fallow and that's not the result of sin, right? That's how, beautiful things grow is that there's mm. seasons and and you've written beautifully about that, Catherine. And, mm. um, you know, I think, you know, even Adam and Eve, right, they were limited to a particular place that they were to l- be limited in their covenant just for one another, that they were to steward the earth and not do everything. And I think it's just so powerful to remember that creation teaches us that God's limits are for our good and for our flourishing. And it really wasn't until our first parents decided that they wanted to be like God um, to transgress mm. and to bypass those limits that sin mm. entered the world. Yeah, that's that's a really, really powerful word, Ashley. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm thinking of our listener who just wants some practical handholds. Yeah. Like, okay, I want to embrace limitedness. My life feels out of control. What do I even do? Like, yeah. where can our listeners, where can your readers start some of these habits that you talk about for embracing a spacious life? Yeah, great question. You know, it's really fun. I did gather a lot of these kind of real practical kind of spiritual formation practices into what I call pocket practices. Cause I, I, I envision like the woman who's having the existential crisis in the carpool pickup line and like needs something to hold on to <laughs> That's great. Yeah, in that moment. And, and so as a pre-order bonus, I am offering those, which are helpful companions to the book. Um, but that you can right. find those at a spacious dot life. But I think I would even just start with sleeping, right? Um, mm-hmm. We often neglect our sleep, right? Or we neglect eating well. <laughs> and because we don't yes. actually think that our bodies matter or we try to, we think of ourselves as productive machines that can kind of plug in like our iPhones. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we only view rest and sleep like plugging in so we can recharge and keep overworking. Um, and so I think one way would just to be simply even like keep asleep log, you know, mm-hmm. practice putting the screens away beforehand, pray beforehand, um, you know, that use a Psalm, right. That he, he makes, um, me lie down and sleep, you know, that you can meditate yeah. on some of these yeah. words and simply say, I'm going to prioritize sleep as, because that's how God's made me. I'm a body, a mind and a soul. And I need to pay attention to those things, those limits too. Ashley, I know this is your second book. Can you tell me a little bit about what you've written before? Yeah, my first book is called Finding Holy in the Suburbs, and it really kind of came out of our experience living in suburbia and this idea, like the, you know, this idea that we've been told you need to work harder, faster, stronger, and better. Hmm. We've also been told these sorts of lies about where are like appropriate places for Christians to live and work and do ministry. And so, Mm. you know, I've seen folks who are, you know, living in inner cities and or living and working amongst the cultural elite in cities or people who are kind of living this agrarian lifestyle. And um, I was like, can you actually be a really faithful Christian and live in suburbia that feels really comfortable? And so Mm. finding holy in the suburbs was my attempt to try to wrestle with that as well as to help people think about their places, whether you live in the suburbs or you live in a different 
sort of milieu to begin to think about how their place needs to hear about Jesus and how our places form and malform us. And what is, Mm. what does the gospel have to say to that? Oh, wow. so good, Ashley. Again, the title of that book is Finding Holy in the Suburbs. Ashley, you also have a podcast. Among the other things you do, <laughs> you're also doing a podcast called Finding Holy Podcast. Can you uh, tell our listeners about that? Sure. Yeah, I love I love, you know, when you're a writer, you're kind of typing on a screen and it can be really lonely. And so I started the podcast to get to have really great conversations like we're having right now. And so I, I try to I interview pastors and professors and artists and activists and help and keep asking these sorts of questions. You know, they see a problem in culture or the church and how do we actually address that as well as create kind of practical connect the dot points um, between all of these ideas and what does it look like on the ground? Ashley, what would you have to say for the listener out there who's kind of intrigued by what you have to say, um, kind of ministering wherever you are, but also being willing to accept that bigger and better isn't necessarily bigger or better, that we need to, to accept what we have. Um, what what would be an encouraging word for that listener? You know, I would just, I, it, what's interesting about the writing of this book is I first started writing the book as a way to, I wanted to like pick apart all of these arguments and the self-help books that are like, just look inside yourself and find the pixie dust mm. and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And like the good life is you like, throwing out that pixie dust and all the other people. Um, but mm. that that's always like a moving walkway of hustle and hurry. Yes. And it's not the way of Jesus. And so I think I, oh. I started wanting to kind of like pick that apart and then realized, especially with the pandemic and knowing what I know of the people who need this book, we needed something gentle. We needed something kind and an invitation yeah. with smaller steps. And so I would wow. just encourage listeners you know, to, to pick up a spacious life. It is a kind invitation. It realizes mm. that we're all exhausted and we've been through collective yeah. trauma um, and it will help you meditate on the goodness and mercy and grace of Jesus. I love that. And Ashley, where can our listeners find you, find other things you're writing? Where can they connect with you? Like, tell us all things, Dr. Ashley Hale. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> you can find the Finding Holy podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, but all the links, etc., are on my website at aahales.com. You can find that, again, also at aspacious.life to take your hustle habit quiz. And I'm also on social media at aahales. And listeners, I would also, I mean, I've been talking about how amazing Catherine is as a writer. I can tell you also, because I have an early copy of A Spacious Life, that this is a powerful book. It's a needed book. It's a beautiful book. It is worth your time. I would encourage you to pre-order one right now. You can also specifically go to aspacious.life. Then you'll get a special pre-order gift, these pocket practices Mm. that Ashley has put together to help you get in the habit of beginning to create a spacious life with God. Ashley, this is such an important message. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, guys. It was so fun. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Monday afternoon. My name is Aubrey Sampson. And once again, joined by my special guest co-host, author Catherine McNeil. Catherine, I have kind of a big question for you, but I know you're the right 
uh, guest co-host for me to ask this because I know you Ooh. think deeply about a lot of things. So you ready okay. for this one? Uh, shoot. Yeah, let's okay. do this. Okay. How do we respond when God calls us to sacri- to when God calls us to something that requires a lot of sacrifice? Like just generally, how do you think people respond? Oh, wow. That is or maybe how question. should we respond is another <laughs> layer of that question. <laughs> you know, I explored this a little bit in my first book, Long Days of Small Things, mm-hmm. um, talking specifically in that instance about motherhood and the sacrifices that are just kind of thrust on us. And without really any choice, you know, if your baby's crying at three in the morning, you got to get up at three in the morning, <laughs> you know? Right. That's um, right. But I think... Generally speaking, sacrifice is not in vogue at the moment. We really want to <laughs> so know true. what's in it for us, you know, mm-hmm. in our relationship with God, what's in it for us in our relationship, even with ourselves, kind of trying to find ourselves and find self-actualization. We're trying to figure out what's in it for us. Yeah, but that's so true. The reality is, is that not just the Christian life, but life truly requires a lot of sacrifice, a lot of mm. pouring ourselves out mm. in ways that are uncomfortable. And I think we really struggle with that. I definitely find that self-sacrifice. It's sometimes for me, I I think I can sacrifice in the big ways when I know it's like heroic almost. Mm. And like, oh, people will talk about that on social media. But yeah. if it's sort of the daily small, like, are you kidding me? I have to do the laundry again. Mm-hmm. Like those types of sacrifices that really don't require that much of me are the ones that I really struggle against. Like, Lord you got to help me because I don't have the energy to dust my or clean up after my kids one more right. time or whatever, right. you know, right. I, um, I asked you that question cause I was over at the Christian post reading an article about a Missouri pastor who donated his kid kidney to a church member. Oh, wow. He said it was a calling from God. He's got this friend in church that he'd been praying about for like a year, like 365 days. He's praying about this man's healing who needs a new kidney. And then he's reading scripture that says uh, from first John three, very famous. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And the article says that this man, he believes in the power of prayer, but he also believes that when someone is in need, people should do more than just pray. And so he began thinking about and praying about giving his kidney to his friend and ultimately saved his life. What do you think about that kind of (sighs) sacrifice, Catherine? I mean, that is next level. Yeah, (laughs) Um, Wow. I love to hear stories like that because it's even kind of a discipleship moment for me, you know, Mm. to say, wow, you know, not just praying for someone, but saying, God, how could you use me Mm. to answer this prayer on, yeah, you know, in good. real life. Um, but you know, uh, it's interesting that you bring this up. I actually had two colleagues once who were in that exact situation. Wait, really? Yes. <laughs> no, I, no, I did. I had two <gasps> coworkers at a job. Um, they, they'll remain nameless, but, um, one of them was in kidney failure. She had gone through dialysis mm. for many years mm. and was sort of coming to the end of that being a feasible solution. And um, another colleague, these were both women of faith, um, suddenly felt a conviction from God as she was praying for her friend and colleague um, that she should herself go and be tested. And it turns out that she was a perfect match. 
And so these two co-workers wound up in surgery together. And Amazing. the one saved the other's life and they're sisters for life now. You know, they started out as Absolutely. colleagues. And they became sisters in Christ. And then they became sisters in, in body and blood as well. And it's, wow. it's so amazing to walk through this with them because how do you go from sitting in a cubicle next to someone to truly sacrificing part of your life for them? Mm. That is so unbelievable that I'm like <laughs> reading this story to you and you're like, oh yeah, I know, I know someone <laughs> who did this because I don't know anyone who's done this. But yeah. I, you know, I think sometimes as Christians, you know, and we can talk about small sacrifices too, because those are just, are just as important. But I think sometimes as Christians, we do forget that we are the actual body of Christ. Yes. And so sometimes, often, not sometimes, often, like God is partnering with us to be his presence on this earth. And so when we are praying for healing, when we are praying for change, when we are pray praying for justice, when we're praying for peace for people, we do need to remember that like we're the answer in a lot yes. of ways. Not, not us alone, obviously, but the spirit in us is the answer. And therefore, donating a kidney or folding your kids laundry one more time, like that is a chance to be the hands and feet of Jesus, yes. like we are called to be as Christians. Yes. You know, this isn't as big of a deal as giving a kidney, but I remember a time when I was in a pretty significant financial need. I didn't have a place to live. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a job. And I had a friend who was praying for me. Mm. Um, and she ended up giving me a very significant gift. And she said, you know, as I was praying, I felt like God was saying, you know, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you asking me to provide for her? You go and provide for her. Mm. And that was really formative for me in my thinking. You know, um, there's there's a lot that we say about thoughts and prayers. We do need thoughts and prayers, yes, but we yes. also need to be open that we might be the way God answers those prayers. Yep. That's such a good such a good word, Catherine. And I, you know, I want to briefly with the couple minutes that we have left, you wrote a book called um, Long Days of Small Things, Motherhood, a Spiritual Discipline. And I think ultimately, like you talked about earlier, the theme of that book is that motherhood is a sacrifice. And so for those of us who aren't necessarily donating our kidneys, you know, yes. um, I know most of us, like you said earlier, are called to sacrifice in little ways throughout our days. And I'm thinking specifically of our young moms that are home yes. listening to the yes. show right now. And they are burnt out. They are weary. They feel unseen. I wonder if you just have some type of encouragement for them uh, right now. Oh, I would love to. I know a lot of times... Um when I, my kids were younger, the only way I had any kind of community was by turning on the radio and listening to someone. <laughs> so true. Someone talking to me. So I would, I would love to that mom or even dad who's out mm -hmm. there feeling overwhelmed right now. Um, you are pouring out your body, your soul, your mind, your heart for your family. Mm -hmm. And even though probably no one is keeping a record of all the little things that you are giving every day and every night, God sees them, and these are the ingredients that are forming your family into the people that they are and will be, and nothing is wasted. Absolutely, everything that you are giving in Jesus' name is being used for the creation of these new people, and that's God work. Everything, however small and menial mm -hmm. and unseen and invisible, it's all God work. 
Yeah, that's that is a great word for all of us, Catherine. Thank you so much for that. Well, coming up next, what can you do if you feel like God is calling you to write? Catherine and I are going to talk about editing, publishing. We're going to talk about her other books as well. So stick around for that conversation. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Coming up this hour, we're talking with Catherine about the writing world, and we're going to talk about how you can help the people of Haiti after the devastating earthquake. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Monday evening. My name is Aubrey Sampson, and once again, so thrilled to be joined by a guest co-host, my friend and author, Catherine McNeil. Catherine, thanks for sticking around. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we love having you. Well, Catherine, one of the things that you do besides writing books, you just dropped information, a brand new announcement about your new book, Fearing Bravely. You have two other books that you've written, uh, Long Days of Small Things and All Shall Be Well. But another part of what you do is coach um, hopeful authors or hopeful writers in um, their dreams of maybe becoming published or maybe just beginning to think about how to even start the writing journey. And I know that you and I often get text messages or DMs from people saying, I have a book idea. What do I do? Yes. And my guess is a lot of our listeners are like that. I have a book idea or I have a friend who has a book idea. What do they do? And so I thought we would lean in a little bit to your coaching and um, give us kind of step back because it's a very big question when people ask us that. I have a book idea. What do I do? So for our listeners who want to start writing, like where do you even begin coaching hopeful writers? Well, to be honest, it is a question I get a lot. I know you do too, Aubrey. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have kind of something that they want to say. And, um, it, you know, like with any industry, it's good to know someone on the inside. So, um, I do get a lot of questions. What should I do with this message that I think I'd love to get out in the world? The, the first piece of advice that I give people is to just start writing. Don't yeah. wait for a book deal uh, because they don't just materialize out of thin air. You know, I ask them, where are you already exploring this topic? Um, are you writing about it on social media? Are you writing about it on a blog? Are you even just have a group of friends that you're emailing and in a discussion about whatever, mm-hmm. whatever way that you tend to connect with people through the written word? Are you talking about that topic? Um, because you know, like they say, you can't steer a parked car. You got to start somewhere and you have That's to great. start, you have to start small. You can't really start with a national audience. Um, another question that I ask is how are you, how is this a reflection of what you're actually doing in your real life? Mm. You know, if you want to talk about, if you want to write a book about how to, um, like we're about to, we're about to be talking about a bit later in the show. If you want to talk about relief for, for Haiti during the mm-hmm. earthquake. Well, are, yep. have you actually been to Haiti? Do you have a degree in some sort of a, a relief? Um, mm-hmm. make sure that what you want to write about is something that you are currently wrestling with in actual relationships and in actual jobs and expertise and studying. Those are the two places I begin. I think that is really, really good advice because I, I do think, generally speaking, there's an idea that you just sort of publish a book. And the reality is there are 
there are some steps to take. And I love what you said. Just start writing now. Sit down and start writing. That's one of the, in the writing world, that's one of the great pieces of advice we all sort of know, like sit at your computer and type. And so I, I think um, Catherine's advice is really good. If you want to start, start small and just start. Get a blog and start blogging or even just on your Facebook page, start putting some of your words out there and begin a conversation and see what God will do. And um, I think you'll be surprised at how it's very hard work. Um, I think you'll be surprised at that. Mm -hmm. But I think you'll also be surprised at how um, great it is just to begin to put your work out there and see how people respond. Yeah. And you know, one of two things will happen. One is that you will find that you've really hit onto something that mm-hmm. people want to talk about this. People mm-hmm. are interested in what you are. People are picking up what you're putting down. Yep. Or it, you might find that there's just not a lot of interest in talking about this topic that seems so important to you. And either one of those will be informative. But yeah, you got to put in some time. You can't mm-hmm. just put out one one blog post or write one article and then decide. <laughs> you got to put in some time. And Catherine, just to give our listeners a perspective, before you worked on your first book, Long Days of Small Things, which we'll talk about here in just a minute, what kind of work were you already doing in order to get to the point where you had a book deal? Well, I was already a writer, both formally and informally. Um, I had been writing on a blog for a long time. I had pitched articles to many different magazines over the course of several years. I had um, written for many different organizations. I had submitted chapters to other books. Um, So, you know, just like with any profession, you work your way up and Mm -hmm. you have to start with something much smaller in most cases than a book. Yeah, that's good. I, I wanted our listeners to hear that because my my journey is similar to Catherine's. I was blogging, I was pitching articles, I was providing chapters for other books. All of that was a build up and preparation for a book deal. Like no author starts with a book deal. You do a lot of, of work to get there. And it's a fun, fun journey, but there is there are some real steps to take. So Catherine, for anyone who's interested in being coached by you, learning more about publishing, being just encouraged to even find their voice as a writer, where can they connect with your coaching? Oh, I would love to talk with anybody. Um, you can find me at my website, which is katherinemcneil.com, or send me a message, a direct message via social media, if you can find me there. Um, I do work with would-be writers and authors. I also work with established authors and writers. Um, anywhere between you know, a coaching call with someone who says, I just don't know where to begin, and I kind of help organize what the next steps might be for them, to getting a book proposal or even a few chapters of a book and asking for me to give feedback or to do edits on it. I even do collaborative writing um, where someone says, you know, I have this incredible story that the world needs to know, but I'm not a writer. So here is a whole lot of words. Could you turn this into something um, publishable? I do the whole gamut of that type of work. And by the way, that is a dream come true for people. So again, go to katherinemcneil.com if you really are dreaming about putting your words into the world. Catherine is an awesome resource for you. Catherine, we have about two minutes left. Didn't really give us enough time, but I do want to talk about your other books because we've talked about your new book that's coming out next year, 
Fearing Bravely, but you have two other beautiful books, Long Days of Small Things and All Shall Be Well. Can you give us very quick summaries of both books and tell our listeners where they can purchase them? Absolutely. Well, my first book, Long Days of Small Things, Motherhood as a Spiritual Discipline, I wrote that when my three children were toddlers and preschoolers, and I just kept hearing other moms in my season of life saying, you know, I, there's just no time or energy for a spiritual life. Mm. I can't make it to church. I can't stay awake when I try to pray. I can't even find my Bible. It's buried under some diapers somewhere. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm hearing that you, like we talked about earlier, you are pouring yourself out. You are sacrificing. Yeah. You yeah. are serving. You are creating. You are nurturing. You are celebrating. You are loving. These are all God things. Um, I think we have misunderstood what the spiritual life looks like. And I Mm. think you are in the thick of it right now. And so I wanted to explore that. Um, What does, you know, I wrote to moms, but it could be for dads. And I've even heard from caregivers um, of of elderly or of special needs. um, What does it look like to find God in those seasons where we're so at the end of our rope from caring for others that we can't, pursue what we have come to know of as a spiritual life. And my second book is All Shall Be Well, Awakening to God's Presence in His Messy, Abundant World. Um, That looks at the cycles and seasons of creation and how those might point us to God. How does the busyness of summer tell us something about God? How does Mm. the dormancy of winter or the decline of fall and death and the hope of new life in spring Where do those things show us something about God? And just to say again, not to overemphasize, but I actually mean this. Catherine is one of the best writers on the scene. Her words are so well-crafted, so beautiful. Her messages are so powerful and inspiring. So I would encourage you to grab any of her books today. Catherine, your books are available, I'm assuming, on Amazon.com, at local bookstores online, anywhere you can find books, you can find Catherine's books. Is that right? Anywhere, anywhere books are sold. Wonderful. All right, Catherine, thanks so much for talking to us and coaching us and helping us learn all about publishing. Coming up next, listeners, how can you help in Haiti right now? We're joined Mm. by Anitra Parmel from Food for the Poor, and she's going to give us a lot of great practical handholds for serving the people of Haiti who are hurting. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Monday evening. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside a special guest co-host, Catherine McNeil. And we are thrilled right now to be joined by Anitra Parmeli from Food for the Poor. As you all know, Haiti is in the midst of incredible devastation right now. And Food for the Poor is the largest NGO in Haiti. They've been there for 35 years. They are on the ground doing work now. Anitra, we are so glad to have you. Thank you so much for inviting me. The need, Aubrey, even as you speak about the ramifications of this 7.2 magnitude earthquake, I think of families that are even now standing outside, terrified to go into buildings. Mm. In one community, 70% of the homes were destroyed. So Mm, we've lost churches and community centers, schools, homes. I mean, the devastation is incredible. And 
for so many of these communities, they're still experiencing aftershocks. I mean, the original hurricane or the original earthquake was felt as far away as Jamaica. But wow. in the midst of that devastation and those dire circumstances, your gift changes everything. That's right. Food for the Poor wow. is able to shift food and water, first aid, hygiene kits, tarps and tents. And that's on the other side of you dialing 855 901 Four six seven three eight five five nine zero one. Hope because that's what you're providing. Anitra, I'm so glad that you're here today. I'm so grateful for a chance to hear from your expertise. Aubrey and I were just talking about how we know all of the listeners are praying for Haiti. We're all praying for Haiti, but sometimes we need to consider that God is asking us to be the answer to the prayer um, when the. Listeners, call the number 855-901-4673. What are some ways that you'd like them to be considering being the hands and feet and finances that God uses? Well, as always in the Bible, there's the spiritual. We we just covet your prayers. Will you mm. pray for God to supernaturally mm. relieve the misery and the suffering? It was an earthquake followed almost immediately by a tropical storm. I mean, mm. the misery is off the charts. And then tangibly, because the headlines can feel overwhelming. And so many people, as they, as they call the number, are saying, oh, there's so much in the headlines that I don't have any control over. This is not one of those situations. That's you right. can make a difference with your gift right now. Tangible help relieving the suffering. And also, yes. because it's given by ministries on the ground, it comes wrapped with the love of Jesus. It comes mm. wrapped with the recognition. God has not forsaken us. God is even now prompting his body to respond. That's right. As you're praying, listeners, about giving, again, that number is 855-901-4673, 855-901-HOPE. I would love to invite you to listen to Leslie's story. He's a Haitian. He's on staff at Food for the Poor. He'll give us some perspective about what's going on in Haiti right now. It is a total nightmare because a parent in this situation right now, you don't really know what to do. You don't really know the step to take because... You need food to feed your children, to feed yourself. You need water to drink. You need a place to stay, to lay your head at night. You need a tent. You need your privacy. You need a place where you can hide your belonging or what's left over. What is it that you can get from the rubble? You need a place to hide the little thing you have. And the worst thing is you don't know when and how it's going to happen. When you're going to get out of this situation. And... I say to anybody over there, this is the worst place you can find yourself where sometimes I would say even the things that you, you cherish the most, your loved one, they're gone. The good stuff that you bought in your house to make your house pretty as, as small as it can be, it's gone. And living in Haiti, if you were struggling and you were happy to have a house in concrete and it's gone, it's going to take years and years and years before you can go back on a house like this. Because there is nowhere you're going to find help. It's hard for families. It's hard for parents. It's going to be hard for parents to keep the hope for their children. Because we told our children they are the future tomorrow. They're going to be, they're going to be doctors. They're going to be engineers. But think about it. They're going backwards. And with this hurricane coming up, nobody even knows where they're going to lay their head. This is a total nightmare. 
absolutely unbelievably devastating right now, listeners. This is an opportunity for you, like Catherine said, like Anitra has said, to be the hands and feet of Jesus by calling 855-901-4673. You can give a gift of $150. You can give a gift of $50. You can gift of $300. Whatever it is the Lord has placed on your heart. Uh, you can be assured that your gifts are literally going on the ground right now, even as early as this evening, to the uh, Haitian relief efforts. Can you tell us a little bit, Anitra, just about... Uh, I know some of this is so devastating because this is reminiscent of 2010 when Haiti was struck by such a devastating earthquake. Can you talk to us about some of the PTSD you're seeing? Well, in 2010, it hit Port-au-Prince, which is um, the population center of Haiti. So we're we're so grateful that this was in the southern portion. It is not as heavily populated, although the casualty rates are skyrocketing. Tens of thousands are homeless or injured or hungry. The the impact on people who endured that 2010 earthquake, they're terrified. Uh, we spoke to uh, one employee who was had to dig out his family by his hands, and just mm. hearing that Haiti has been hit again brings back all of that terror. But also the reminder that Food for the Poor was on the ground in 2010, and we are on the ground right now because of you. Because of your generosity, you empower us. You are a link in the chain that allows us to make a difference right now. Mm -hmm. So during this segment, I just encourage you, will you make a call? Will you reach out to Haitian believers and those who are yet to know God and make a difference when you dial 855-901-HOPE, 855-901-4673? Anitra, I'm really struck by how powerfully you've communicated that it's trust has already been built. And I'm married to a social worker. I know how important that is. Can you tell me a little bit about the trust that you've already built through your organization and through other ministries on the ground there? It's 35 years of relationship. Mm. Our our Haiti office has 400 plus Haitian staff. We in that region, we're already accustomed because of your generosity from past appeals to ministering to 700,000 people mm-hmm. in that area. It's so amazing. food distribution, housing, water, all of those things are already in the pipeline and working. So when a disaster strikes, we're not contacting people to begin relationship. We're hearing stories even on the radio from Haiti where mayors are saying, we're waiting for food for the poor. We can't wait till food for the poor contacts us. Because even in those first hours after the earthquake, help was already speeding its way to these people. So they look to, to food for the poor and indeed you for your generosity. Yeah, that's exactly right. Again, the number to call is 855-901-4673, 855-901-HOPE. And we know, listeners, that you are passionate about being the hands and feet of Jesus. There are tens of thousands of people, including little children, including moms, including church goers, and uh, just all kinds of folks that are devastated right now. And your gift of $150 or anything the Lord has placed on your heart really is actually going to meet them right where they are. Anitra, I want to step back a little bit because I know you are deeply passionate about Haiti. Can you tell us personally what got you involved with Food for the Poor? 
there's a verse I, I struggle to, to know that I'm in the center of God's will. I've been a follower of Jesus for, for decades, but I'm always hungering. God, am I in the right place? Am I doing the right thing? And I just, mm. I think of the verse in James about the widows and orphans and God's definition of real religion. And I just think these mm-hmm. surely are the least of these. And That's right. you know, having traveled yourself, you learn so much. This is a faith that is not because I have a large house or thank you for my car. Mm-hmm. It's a faith because I know that God is sending the kingdom right now and also yes. that he is good and that he is That's righteous right. and that he is Amen. providing. So, so my connection to Haiti and the people is at the heart level, at the spirit level, and also at the at the mind level, knowing Mm. that this is one of the poorest countries in the Western hemisphere. Mm. So of course, I'm going to turn my attention to them. Yeah, that's Mm. exactly right. Again, the number to call is 855-901-4673. Would you pick up the phone and give a donation now? A 7.2 earthquake flooding from tropical storm grace have left thousands of Hades in homelessness and in misery. We need your help. One more time. The number is 855-901-4673. Anitra, can you talk to us a little bit about what's going on in Haiti and what our listeners can do? The facts are that last Saturday on the 14th, a 7.2 magnitude earthquake hit the southern region of Haiti. The devastation was immediate. Uh, Some communities lost 70% of their homes. Schools were crushed. The hospitals are in rubble, community centers in rubble, and the impact because Haitians had endured such an incredible earthquake in 2010, we had reports of families, even though their house wasn't impacted, they refused to go inside terrified that their house would fall down on them and their children. Then on Monday, to add misery to suffering, Tropical Storm Grace pelted them with storm winds as well as rain. So they're in fields, in mud, nothing to cover them, no food, Mm. no hope Mm. of, of water, a tarp, a tent, medical supplies, even a first aid kit. All of those things Mm. are part of your gift. Food for the Poor has been in Haiti for decades. And because of your generosity, we are right now able to, to rush life-saving relief supplies to them. Anitra, you are painting such vivid images of what this one-two punch has done to devastate the people of Haiti. Do you have a personal story? Could you kind of hone in on a, a mom or a dad or a kid or an auntie or an uncle who you know is suffering, struggling, something that you've heard of personally? Well, the rush comes because for us at Food for the Poor, these aren't headlines or statistics. You can hear that 70% of the homes were destroyed. But for me, it's it's immediately the face of Mary Lude, who when yeah. I stood in front of her, she said, my my community has forgotten me. My government is unable to help me. I feel Mm -hmm. as though even God has forgotten me. Mm -hmm. And I was able to tell her that is not the truth. I stand here representing God's people who are even Mm -hmm. now making generous gifts to extend tangible help to you. But no, God has not overlooked you. And because we work with ministries on the ground, you, you can know that that earthquake relief kit 
is wrapped in God's love and a reminder mm. that yeah. it comes with words of life as well as food and water and a, a tarp to ease the physical suffering. Sometimes you know that having gone through our own challenges, sometimes we just need a reminder that there's a reason to hope. That's yes. right. Listeners, we know for you, it's really powerful to hear stories of those who are actually on the ground in Haiti. We have a story from Soraya. She was in the earthquake in 2010. Her story is deeply powerful. I want you to take a listen to that. Right now, people probably feel, I personally feel very lost, very concerned as far as how we're going to make it out of this and just what structures are in place to face this situation as well as rebuild from here. And I think you know, that's, that's a general feeling. Today, we, we're still feeling aftershocks in Port-au-Prince. I mean, the ground keeps shaking and it's just the anxiety. I know so many people who stepped in their cars last night in Port-au-Prince, people who stepped like outside in their yards just out of fear, you know, that this could happen to them again. So definitely there's a general sense of panic going around. I can say that for sure. The country has been going through so much turmoil just politically and um, with the passing of the president and just there's been a lot of instability in terms of having a government and knowing what are the next steps for us to rebuild as a nation. So it just feels like this is another weight added on to what was already chaos. Wow. I I don't know about you, but I am so moved by Soraya's words. And listeners, if you are moved as well, if the Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart to do something about our brothers and sisters in Haiti right now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to write this number down or I want you to hit pause on whatever you're listening to the show and call this number 855-901-4673. Again, that's 855-901-HOPE. I would love to invite you to give a donation to the people of Haiti and you are providing an earthquake relief kit for them to meet their needs. I mean, even tonight you will be meeting their needs by calling that number and donating $150 or anything that God places on your heart. Anitra, you've talked about this a little bit, but can you give our listeners an idea of what is in the earthquake relief kit and how does it get to people in need? Well, Food for the Poor has already, from hours after the earthquake, begun shipping and redirecting containers. So think of it. It's a 40-foot container of hope because it has food, water, first aid, and hygiene kits. Imagine having it's, – it's now Monday – so it's been almost a week or over a week and you've had no access to food, no access mm. to water, no ability even to wipe the mud wow. from your body. It's tarps to protect them from the rain yeah. and the yeah. sun. It's tents just to use as temporary dwelling places so that they have some privacy. I mean, yeah. literally, they've been out in the open not only because their home is destroyed, but also out of terror that buildings are going to continue to collapse on them because of the tremors. And I just think mm. as followers of Christ, God gives us a supernatural ability to place ourselves into another person's shoes. So I just That's ask right. you to consider mm -hmm. if you were in the same situation, what would you hope? What would you pray that your fellow believers, the body of Christ, how would you pray that they would respond? Will you be the answer to their prayer right now? Yes. 
Anitra, tonight when our listeners are sitting around the dinner table or tomorrow when they're heading back into work, they're talking to their family, they're talking to their colleagues about your story because it's so heavy on their hearts because you've told it so well. Mm -hmm. What's the one thing you want them to remember to pass on to their friends and family? that this is something you can make a difference for. Sometimes we can be overwhelmed by the immensity of the suffering, the immensity of the grief. And somebody wise said to me, Jesus spoke to the leper. He spoke Mm. to the blind man. And I just, I find it so helpful to think, God, how many people can you provide for me to alleviate their suffering? Is it one? Is it five? Is it Mm. a group of 30? What's in my hand? We think about the feeding of the 5,000. It was a little boy with some loaves and fishes, and Mm -hmm. it's almost Mm -hmm. become a, a cliche, but he offered what was in his hand, and Jesus was able to multiply that. So when you look at what's in your hand, will you offer that Will you give it to God and ultimately the people in Haiti and allow God to do the miraculous? We speak about what happens in a community when these supplies come. Mothers fall to their knees Mm. singing praise to God because they know it's from his hand that this food and water and tarps and tents comes. That's right. Again, the number to call right now, listeners, is 855-901-4673. Again, that's 855-901-HOPE. What you're giving to is literally the kingdom of God right now. You are making an actual, actual impact by providing for Haitian people that are suffering in such a devastating situation. Anitra, we talked about this before, but I would love to hear um, from you again. Talk to us about how you became involved with Food for the Poor and why Haiti in particular breaks your heart. I live in South Florida, so I don't have to ask God who is my neighbor in the story of the Good Samaritan. I mean, I've had a chance to travel to Haiti. I I attend a, a Haitian church quite frequently. Haiti is on my mind, but when they suffer, we suffer as well. When they, Mm, when they celebrate, we celebrate as well. So I just, I ask you to consider them your neighbor. If your neighbor's child came to your door and said, I haven't eaten for three days, I know you. Your generosity would have you reaching for your pantry within moments. I mean, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to move fast enough to meet that need. So although you can't see them, although you may never hear them say thank you, please know. Your gift changes their lives right now. That's right. Anitra, thanks so much for being here with us today. We always appreciate having someone from Food for the Poor. Again, the number to give right now is 855-901-4673. That's 855-901-HOPE. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Monday evening. My name is Aubrey Sampson, and I'm joined by my guest co-host, Catherine McNeil, who is the author of Long Days of Small Things, All Shall Be Well, and an upcoming book that she announced just for us, our exclusive announcement called Fearing Bravely, Risking Love for Our Neighbors, Strangers, and Enemies. That book comes out in February of 2022. Catherine, we're ending up the show today, but it has been fabulous to have you on with us. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's been a blast. I've had great fun. 
Before I forget, can you tell our listeners where they can find all things Catherine McNeil? Yes, please uh, come visit me at my website, katherinemcneil.com. From there, you'll be able to get links to social media. You'll be able to sign up for my uh, newsletter. You'll be able to find out where you can buy my books. But if you don't want to go to my website, you can probably find me on most social media, Catherine McNeil. We like to end the show every day with something really encouraging for our listeners. And I thought a conversation about why women go to seminary would be a really empowering conversation, not just for our female listeners, definitely for our female listeners, but also for our male listeners as well. So I want to hear from you. Why did you decide to go to seminary? Well, you know, I think I'd have to start with why I didn't go to seminary for a really long time. Um, I actually, (laughs) the funny family story is that I was born the day before my dad started seminary. Um, He had been, his mentor had recommended that he not start a family and seminary at the same time. So his joke is he had me on Sunday and then started seminary on Monday. So... That sounded funnier before I had kids. <laughs> but if you, had right, asked me, right. if you had asked me when I was seven years old uh, what I wanted to do when I grew up, I would have told you I wanted to go to seminary like my dad. I loved mm. reading over his shoulder and talking about his sermons with him and uh, trying to read the theological books that he was reading. Um, when you, If you had asked me in high school or college, you would have known for sure that I wanted to go to seminary, but it didn't actually occur to me that I could or that it was a good use of my time or that there could be a job waiting Mm. for me at the other end. And so I think I used that love of God, love of theology, love of um, pastoring um, in just about every other way I could think of. I got a degree in counseling. I got a degree in intercultural studies. Wow. Um, I worked in human resources. All of those are ways where I could kind of sit with people and help them through whatever mm-hmm. they were going through while talking about big ideas about God and what it looks like to think about God in our real lives. And it's only been now in my mid-40s where I'm like, you know what? I should have just gone to seminary. And so I decided to do it. Mm, wow. Wow. I am, um, Catherine, my story is a little bit different than yours, except that I, so I started in ministry as a junior high youth pastor, and I was watching all of my male colleagues get their, you know, biblical exegesis degrees ah. or their seminary degrees or their history degrees. And I kept thinking to myself, wow, I really love the knowledge that they're gaining and the books they're reading. I'm reading like the things Mm -hmm. they're talking about. I'm passionate about talking about. But for some reason, there was never that connection for me. Like maybe I should go to. And here I was Mm -hmm. forming the lives of middle schoolers. Here I was preaching to them every single week. And yet I just thought, oh, that's not for me. That's for Mm -hmm. the men in my life. And then I did end up finally saying, you know what? I want more education. If I'm truly someone who's preaching God's word, I need to know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And so I did start um, my degree at Wheaton, gosh, years ago. And then I got pregnant with my first son, Eli, which is a blessing and a gift. And I know lots of women who are pregnant that go to school. But that to me felt like another sort of hill, like, oh, I can't be pregnant and be in school. That's too much. So Mm. I dropped out of um, my master's degree program. And I just kept sort of waiting and waiting and waiting. And eventually the timing was right. But there is a part of me, I think, like you, that feels a little bit 
mournful that someone in my life wasn't like, no, absolutely, you should be going to get this degree. Absolutely, you should be pursuing your learning. Absolutely, we're going to help support you as a community because we feel like even women who are having babies, even women who are running ministries should be able to be in school just the way that men who are having babies and running organizations (laughs) could do this. And I think it, there's there's some sadness to that. Now, I feel grateful. I'm almost done with my degree program. I'm praising the Lord for that. I feel grateful that you have gone back to seminary. But there's certainly a loss in the midst of this whole conversation, wouldn't you say? Yes. Oh, so much so. I Actually, one of the reasons why I'm in seminary now is I emailed my husband one day. I said, you know, I'm not someone who really experiences regret. You know, I kind of figure you bloom where you're planted, grass grows where it's watered. Um, But I said, this is a huge regret that I have in my life that I never did go to seminary and get my MDiv. And he was like, all right, let's make this happen. And you know, Aubrey, Mm. I think it really was that I did finally get a chorus of people around me who just continued like my husband to say, Catherine, why aren't you in seminary? Catherine, please go get an MDiv. Catherine, why are you not Mm. um, in seminary? That Finally, I realized this isn't just something in my own head and heart. People in my community, people in the ministries I'm a part of are also calling this out in me. And um, yes, I do wish that it had happened sooner. And if there is a a young woman or even a young man in your life that you see that in listeners, I encourage you to say something because it makes such a big difference. It does make such a difference. In fact, one of the primary reasons women go to get higher education in any sort of theological field is because someone has spoken into their lives. We think you should do this. We see this in you. Yes. Catherine, um, with just another minute or so that we have for our listeners, uh, I, I want to ask you two, a two part question. Okay. For our listeners who may be like, wow, I am really interested in going back to school. What words of encouragement would you have for them? And then secondly, for our listeners who would just love to learn to think deeply mm. or study the Bible deeply, but perhaps just don't have the time or the resources or the energy. It's not the right season of life for school. What words of encouragement would you say to them? Well, for that person who is thinking about taking the plunge, I just want to encourage you and say it's never too late. I will be 50 years old by the time I finish, assuming I do finish. Yeah. Um, I I find that my life experience has just augmented my schooling, the, the ministry experience, the theological reading and writing and working that I've already done is just making this all, all the richer. So it's never too late. Um, if you're thinking about taking the plunge, at least take a first step, at least send an email or ask for some information. And um, could you remind me the second question? Yeah, just for those listeners who may want to like have more education or or even study the Bible more deeply, but they don't, they're not in the season of life or don't have the capacity to go back to school. What's a word of encouragement for them? (laughs) Well, you know, I joked for a really long time that I had a a homeschool PhD because (laughs) I would, uh, you know, I would buy all the N.T. Wright books or all the Walter Brueggemann books, or I would attend theology conferences. And I just was so hungry. I just enjoy thinking about God and theology so much. Um, You can do it from home. You know, you're not going to have letters at the end of your name at the end, but you can do it from home. And, you know, uh, Aubrey is a great place to start. Tune into this radio show and listen to the books she recommends. Um, 
there's always a way to learn if you're hungry to learn. That's a great word for all of our listeners, Catherine. Catherine, thanks so much for co-hosting with me today. This has been such a joy. I love it. (laughs) You're a born radio star, by the way. We're going to have to have (laughs) you on here again. Move over. Move over, Brian. Catherine McNeil is in the house. (laughs) Sounds good to me. Listeners, thanks so much for joining us. Be sure to join us again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. for more Common Good. For Catherine McNeil, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.